So if I were to ask you to identify yourself in just one brief sentence, how would you do it? I mean, if you were to fill in the blank, fill in this blank, I am blank. How would you, how would you do that? Just briefly, how would you identify yourself? I, I was thinking about several different ways that I could fill in that blank. I could say, I am Brooke and Autumn's dad, which for those of you with kids, you know that kind of becomes your identity for a season in life, right? I could say that I am Sean's husband, which would be an important way for me to identify myself as well. Uh, I could say that I am the senior pastor at Gateway Community Church. Uh, I could say that I am a proud Baylor grad. I am a sports fan. I am, there are a lot of different ways. I am a 50-year-old white male. I mean, there, there are a lot of different ways that I could identify myself and fill in that blank. So, so how would you do that? How would you fill in? If you just had to choose and say, okay, this is the one thing that I'm going to choose. I can't put all of them in there. What is the one thing that I would use to identify myself? Some of those things that I mentioned are more important in identifying who I am than others. But if I were to fill in, you know which one I would choose? None of them. Here's how I'd identify myself. I would say, I am a follower of Jesus. I mean, that's, that's basic, but really, that is the core identity of who we are. If that is true of you, if you are a follower of Jesus, that uh, instructs everything else, that impacts every other aspect that I mentioned a moment ago, and listen to me on this, and it supersedes everything else as well. It is more important than anything else. And today we're going to talk about that together as we talk about uh, you know, how do we find unity um, in a, a time, in a world, in a society where we are so deeply divided. And this is our answer. We find our unity in our identity as who we are as followers of Jesus. You know, I, I know that there has never been a time where everybody agrees on everything. I, I realize that. Throughout the course of history, there's never been a time where all people agree. Um, but I would argue that we as a people and as a society are more disagreeable now than we've ever been before. Not that we've always agreed on everything. We are just more disagreeable now. We, we, we are... We are forced to choose sides on everything, right? Which side are you on? Do you believe people should be required to wear masks as a preventative measure for COVID-19 or should they not? Do you believe that, uh, are you in support of police departments or do you think the police should be defunded? Uh, do you believe that uh, schools should be reopening and having people in person, or do you believe it should all be online? Do you believe that churches should be reopening in person, or should it all be online? And then certainly one of them at the top of the list right now, do you support Trump? Do you support Biden? What is your political stance? Which political party do you identify with? I mean, there are just so many different issues that divide us and push us in different directions and we are forced to kind of choose sides and, and I think it's important to say this it's you know we, we need to be able to say this is what I believe and what I stand for and at the same time realize that our identity in Christ is more important even than any of those things and so today uh, I want us to jump into 
a passage of scripture in the book of Galatians, and we'll, we'll get there here in just a moment, but if you want to begin turning to Galatians chapter 3, uh, it's going to, to give us some insights about how we find our identity. And one of the things that's important for us to understand going into this is that there are godly, Bible-believing people who disagree on different issues. Now, some of you may have a hard time swallowing this statement, but it's the truth. There are godly, Bible-believing people in both political parties. Some of you are like, no way, you know. If you don't agree with me, then, you, then you're wrong, and you must not love Jesus, right? No, we, we need to know what we believe. We need to be able to stand for something, and, and, and I think, by the way, it's a good thing to have that tension where we can kind of hold each other in check. Uh, but more than anything, um, more than anything, we need, to, uh, we, we need to know who we are as God's people. And by the way, speaking of that, speaking of the importance of knowing what we believe, uh, when it comes to things like politics, get involved. You know, go vote. Register to vote. If you haven't registered to vote, you know, do that. I mean, be involved. Let your voice be heard. Uh, let your values, let your, let your understanding of Scripture dictate how you go about those things. Um, but even more than any of that, let's talk about who we are in Christ. Galatians 3, starting in verse 26, says, So in Christ Jesus... You are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In Christ Jesus, it says, you are all children of God through faith. This is talking about our identity, those who are children of God through faith. It says that, 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 that we then become one because of that faith. Now let's talk about that for a minute because I think we need to clearly identify what it means to be a child of God through faith. In this time, in this culture, um, this, it, it really would not have been necessary to make the same distinction that I want to make now because if you were a follower of Jesus it was very clear that, that you were separate from a bunch of other things. I would contend that now things are a lot more cloudy. You know, there's a lot of what I would call cultural Christianity now. It's identifying as a Christian without necessarily having a radical faith and a desire to follow Jesus that supersedes everything else. But during the, the, the times that they were in the church, during the times that, that this letter was written, to the church in Galatia, this would not have been an issue because think about this. If you're going to become a Christian, especially early on, uh, you're going to make a lot of enemies as a result of that decision. If you are certainly coming out of Judaism, you know that there are going to be a lot of, the, the Jewish people are not going to be happy with you. They believe that Jesus blasphemed the God that they worship. That's why they put him to death. They certainly did not appreciate the fact that the Christians made them guilty of Jesus' death. And you read through the book of Acts, and they're saying things like, you know, you crucified him. You they didn't appreciate that. They certainly didn't believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead and what a threat that was. So you're certainly going to have opposition from the Jewish community. You're going to have opposition from the Romans because the Romans are all about political dominance. 
and they want allegiance. That's it. They, they want to know that you are devoted to them and submissive to their authority. And yet the Christians are saying, no, we only give our allegiance to Jesus. So the, the Romans didn't like them. Those who worshipped multiple gods didn't like them because now they're coming into uh, this, this society where a lot of people did believe in different gods and worship multiple gods and they're saying things like there's one way. Jesus is the only way to God. Man, they, they, they had a lot of opposition. And so if you are a Christian in the early days of the church, there really wasn't this whole half-hearted, you know, I think I'll identify with them because it's comfortable or because it's what generations before me have done. There were no generations before them to have done this. And so these are people who are making a radical decision and a commitment to follow Jesus. All of that began to change a little bit when those in power, there certain to be, started to be certain people in authority and in power and rulers and others who identified themselves as Christians. And in some cases, Constantine's probably the first one that we think of, but made Christianity the official religion of that, that day. And so now it behooves you to identify yourself as a Christian because those in authority and those in power are now Christians. And so it began this, this shift that I think we still deal with today, especially living in the Bible Belt where we do, there are certain benefits to identifying yourself as a Christian. Now, you certainly will get some pushback as well, uh, but if you, you know, go to church and are involved in kind of Christian-based organizations and things like that, that can be beneficial to you in our culture, even if you really aren't serious about following Jesus. And so in this case, I want to be really clear what he's talking about here when he talks about those that are children of God through faith. These are people who had turned away from whatever belief system they had, if they had any at all, and had said, we are going to make a decision to follow Jesus, understanding that that decision is going to create a lot of division between us and most of everybody else. So it's not an easy decision to make. It's not a half-hearted decision to make. This is something that they were fully committed to. And as a result of that, you know, they, they uh, realized that they had to stick together because all they had was one another. And so those of you, it says, you're children of God through faith. And then in verse 27, it talks about how they were identified. It says, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You know, baptism is, that's a great way to think about what baptism is. It is a picture of being clothed with Christ. Now, it is not the actual decision itself. The decision to clothe yourself with Christ is this decision you make when you turn away from your sin and you put your faith in Jesus. But a way that you would identify yourself as one who had done that was through baptism. And you think about being submerged in the water and just being covered. You know, that's a great illustration of being clothed. One of the, the, the ways that I explain this a lot of times, especially uh, with younger folks who are getting baptized, because most kids can relate to the idea of being on a team and wearing a team jersey or a uniform of some sort that identifies them as a part of the team. That, that's a great way to think about baptism. You, you, when you are baptized into Christ Jesus, it's a way of identifying yourself, saying, this is the team that I belong to. This, this, this is who I am now. I am now a follower of Christ, and I'm letting people know that through this public act of baptism so that it's clear whose side I'm on. Because it's really difficult sometimes to, to be able to operate if you're not clear whose side you're on. Which, by the way, I was thinking about that and it kind of threw me back to, unfortunately, I have to say, days of the past 
when I used to play a good bit of pickup basketball and do those kinds of things. It was the most frustrating thing in the world to me to play. And those of you that have done this before know what I'm talking about. If you're playing a pickup game and shirts and skins aren't allowed anymore, right? Everybody has to wear their shirt. And so you're playing with five guys that you or four other guys you don't know and five guys you may not know. And you're playing and there's always one guy. There's always one guy out there that wants to pretend like he's on your team when he's really on the other team and he's hollering for the ball and you throw it to him and he goes the other way. It's like, really? I mean, that's just not fair, right? That's why uniforms are important. We need some kind of jersey or some kind of identifier to realize, okay, it's clear that you belong to that team. I belong to this team. As a, as a baptized Christian, that's, a, that's what you're doing. You're saying, okay, I belong to this team. I'm on this side. I'm, I'm identifying myself as a follower of Jesus. And so uh, that, that's who we're talking about. And then the result of that is verse 28. And this is really the heart of what, what I want us to talk about today. Verse 28 says, Having made that decision, having trusted in Jesus and been baptized and identified yourself as part of His team, verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one. In Christ Jesus. Here's the first main idea today, and really kind of the core of what we're talking about is this that we find our identity in Christ alone. That's where we find our identity. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, look, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Greek, Jew or Gentile, if you're slave or free, male or female. That that's not where you find your identity. Now think about what a remarkable statement this was coming from somebody who had previously found his identity and who he was as a Jew and as a, a high-level leader in the Jewish community. This is Paul we're talking about here. Think about the background and what you know of the culture and the tension between Jews and Gentiles or Jews and Greeks. Anybody that was not a Jew was in, in, in major opposition to the Jewish people, they took a lot of pride in who they were. They took a lot of pride in their, their um, status as God's chosen people. And there was incredible tension between Jews and non-Jews. And then you've got Paul of all people. And listen to the way, and by the way, in Philippians 3, he's not bragging on himself. He's actually making the point that in spite of all this, none of this matters. But for our purposes today, listen to how he described himself circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I mean, this guy was, he, he was the model, if there were anybody that could say, look at, at, at how my Jewishness matters, and my level of education, and training, and all this, and it puts me in a higher place so that I can look down on you, which is what a lot of people would do, certainly uh, to, to non-Jews, and maybe even to other Jews. Having this type of education, and this type of pedigree, for somebody like that to say, but yeah, that doesn't matter. And that's, that's, that's astounding. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or not. And then he goes on after that and he says, it doesn't even matter if you're a slave or if you're a free person. Now again, let's try to put ourselves into this culture, into this time, and think, how does this sound to a slave owner who has not yet come to grips with the fact that what he is doing is sinful and violating 
the, the value of human life, but they, but they don't know that at this point. This is what they are, are, are born into. This is the culture that they're in. They haven't come to grips with that. It doesn't excuse it, but it's the reality. So how is that person going to perceive that when they hear there's no difference between a slave and a slave owner or a free person? How, how is that going to hit the ears of a slave? who has been devalued their entire life and maybe has begun to believe, because sometimes if you hear something often enough, you kind of start to believe it after a little while, maybe they have begun to believe that they are less valuable, that, that they aren't as good as those who are free. And now they're hearing this and saying, wait a minute, you're telling me that I'm just the same as this person that I'm serving? It says there's no difference. Between slave and free. Then he says something else that again, when we understand the culture, makes it even more significant. There's neither male nor female. And at this time, in this culture, females did not hold a high place at all in society. In fact, they held a much higher place. If, if you read through the Old Testament and things that, that women were allowed to do and be involved with, somewhere between then and the time of, of, this, of, of the New Testament, things just kind of really went downhill. And to the point now, a woman uh, was not allowed to testify in court because her word was not reliable. Uh, she was not, for the most part, allowed to be involved in any type of commerce. She generally just didn't leave the house. She wasn't seen in public. And so she was completely dependent. A woman was completely dependent upon a man for her existence. And yet in that type of a culture, he says, it doesn't matter if you're male or female. The only thing that really matters is who you are in Jesus and this is the point that he's making, is that what we have in common in Christ is what brings us together. That's where we find our unity, not in these other things. And, and, and that happens once we find our identity in who we are in Jesus. Now, when he says that there is neither, you know, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, all those things, he's not, he's not saying literally that there's no distinction between the two. The point that he's making is this is not how you identify yourself and this is not what matters the most. However, I think it is important for us in our day, in our time, in our culture to understand the differences that we have with one another. In fact, I would contend that in order for us to experience the true unity that God wants us to have, that we need to understand our differences. We need to have an appreciation for where people who are different are coming from. And the first one that he talks about there, when he talks about Jew nor, nor Gentile or Jew nor Greek, um, the, the, the biggest application for us today is race relations, because that's essentially what this was. And of course, this is a hot topic in our culture today. It is a big deal. And the question is, how do we, as the people of God, as the church of God, I believe we should be leading the way in providing unity and equality and these kinds of things but how do we go about doing that well certainly the foundation as we're talking about today is that we have oneness in christ that brings us together uh, above everything else but i do think it's important for us to understand and to, to have an appreciation for where people are coming from knowing that this is not your core identity okay and by the way what that means is that who i am as a christian is more important than if you're white or black or Hispanic or Asian or, or whatever else it may be. Who you are as a Christian is 
foremost. But understanding that background and where a person is coming from is a, an important piece of adding to our unity and, and, and being able to have some open dialogue, being able to have some conversation about it uh, is really important because the more we can understand and appreciate where another person is coming from, the better opportunity we'll have to be able to, to come together as one. And so as you prepare to do that, and I want to encourage you to do that, to have those conversations with other believers, by the way, that's what we're talking about here. If we're talking about building unity, now there's certainly a place for having those conversations with unbelievers, but today we're talking about building unity as those who are in Christ, okay? So as you prepare to have those conversations, here is something that's absolutely imperative. I, I just can't overemphasize how important this is. Go into those conversations ready to listen. Ready to listen, because here's what we normally do. We go into those conversations ready to make our case and tell the other person why they're wrong. We go into that saying, let me defend my position. Let me tell you why I believe what I do. And it becomes more of an attack than it really becomes an opportunity to say, help me understand where you are coming from. I really do want to listen. I want to understand. There may be some things that you have to say that I might not agree with, but if I can at least understand the background of that and where you're coming from, maybe it will help me to gain some perspective. And this works both ways. This could be, uh, you know, it could be a, a white person entering into that conversation arming themselves, saying, let me explain to my black friend why I believe that all this stuff is just a creation of the media and, and, and that injustice is really not an issue, and you know, I'm going to make my case. It could be a black person coming into that conversation saying, I've already made up my mind that all white people are racist, and given the opportunity, they will step on your throat or kneel on your neck every single time they get the opportunity to do so. We can come into those conversations making up our mind that this is the case that I'm going to make. What I want to encourage you to do is, is to have real, honest dialogue. You might be surprised what comes out of that. I've had the opportunity to do that uh, on a couple of different occasions. Uh, recently, we had a group of pastors get together, and one of our African-American friends, uh, who is a pastor in the community, we just said, you know, we, we had some conversation and, and, and he shared with us a little bit of great insights. And to be able to ask questions and, and to say, you know, help. I, I genuinely, I like to ask questions. I really want to know what people think. I want, I want to know where people are coming from. I want to know what their perspective is. And so I asked the question. I said, help me understand um, what you see and what you perceive when you hear of another issue um, uh, come out in the news and there is a black individual, you know, shot or done. I said, you know, now that happens across the board. It's not just black people that that's happening to, but it seems that when that happens, that's what, what, what raises up, right? Why is that? And I partly knew the answer, but I really wanted to, I really wanted to get some perspective. Uh, and one of the answers that, that came back that was very helpful, I said, look, you got to understand the, the background behind that and what comes behind um, what leads to a perception in, in, in the way that we process those kinds of things. And that is that years and years and years of being treated differently. And one of the others in the group actually shared, you know, sent me a, a link, shared some statistics with me, things that, for example, uh, these are just statistics. 
um, that, that a black person is four times more likely to be arrested for the same crime as a white person. Uh, and, and knowing that and having that background and you, you just, basically this, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but you, you, you kind of get a little bit tired of it. You get more sensitive to it. And so you react more strongly when something comes and something happens because of this background, because of this history. Um, it, it, it strikes you in a different way. Um, and, and that was helpful to have that conversation and to be able to share. And then I had another conversation with another African-American friend of mine and somebody that is a solid believer. And I just said, hey, you know, I just want to kind of hear what you're thinking a little bit. And this was interesting to me because he brought, I didn't bring this up, he brought up Black Lives Matter. And this was his comment on that because I, you know, I was interested to hear uh, what somebody that I know identifies himself first as a Christian, and that's his top identity above everything else. I want to know what he thought. It's really interesting what he had to say. He says, you know, uh, I take a lot of heat as a black man because I'm not in support of the movement itself. Just based on, if you, if you read, the foundation of that organization and what they believe and what they're trying to do um, doesn't line up with what we believe as Christians. Now, but this was his comment. He says, but I absolutely am in support of, of, of the statement and the truth and the reality that, that black lives do matter and that we should be striving toward equality and, and those kinds of things, absolutely 100%. Um, and, and, and this was his take on it. He says, here's what I think needs to happen. I think Back to what we're saying here. We need to be able to have real, honest dialogue. And he gave this illustration. He said, suppose a community activists. It works primarily with the African-American community. Suppose they walk into a gathering of police officers and as they come in, this is, this is what they have to say to those police officers. It says, you know, I'm, I'm going to be meeting this week with a group of, of, of some African-American folks and um, kind of at-risk type uh, situation and I want to talk to them about the proper way to respond to authority. I want to talk to them about you know, how to uh, respond appropriately in different situations. W what kind of advice could you give to me to share with them? This, this was his example. He said, I guarantee you, if that's the approach, that the, the, the level of respect is going to go up and that there's going to be the opportunity to have some dialogue. As opposed to coming in, he said, look, we know what a lot of the issues are. We know what's happened. We know... Um, you know, what needs to change, but what we really need at this point is to facilitate some conversation that is a two-way conversation uh, that can go both directions and say, what do we need to do in both ways in order to do that? So having that, that, that trust as a foundation is so important. Where does that come from? That comes from our identity as fellow believers. That's where it comes from. That, that's what he's getting at here. When he says none of these other things are what identify us. My challenge to you is to, to be intentional about finding ways to have those conversations. Not to argue somebody else into your position. To have a conversation and to really get to know somebody of a different background, a different race. Um, so do that. We're going to be putting out more information in days to come, but there's a great... There's a great tool out there. You can go out and Google it. It's, it's really, um, really a neat little uh, ministry that's been started. Uh, but it's called a Unity Table. Uh, it was put together by one church, which is here in our community. 
And the, the challenge is this, that every fifth weekend that you invite somebody of a different race, get together and have a meal. And you just have open dialogue and open conversation. And so we'll be talking more about that. That'll, uh, fifth, fifth weekend will be happening next month. But, and you don't have to wait till then. You can do it before then. But just find ways to be intentional about having those conversations. So here's kind of the, to sum it up, let me give you one other main idea, and I won't spend long on this one because I've kind of been saying this all throughout so far. Uh, but this is really, really the point of it all, and that is that we find our oneness in Christ alone. We should find our identity in Christ alone. That's, that's how we identify ourselves. But as a result of that, we also find our oneness in Christ alone. And that's what he's saying, that, that we are one um, in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus, verse 28. Guys, we live, we live in a world that is completely divided right now. And it's about to get worse. With elections coming, with all that's about to happen, we desperately need the people of God to stand up and, and to focus on who we are as believers and what we have in common and the unity that we share in Christ. We desperately need that. Even if you disagree, even if you have different political views, it is essential that we come together. I mean, what would happen if we came together across racial lines? What would happen at a time where there is so much division in our society? What if the people of God said who we are as Christians is more important than what race I belong to? That's what brings us together. What would happen if we came together across socioeconomic lines? And there's, so there's, rather than there being you know, slave or free, that kind of distinction, rich or poor. No, what if we came together and said who we are as the people of God matters more than any of that? What if we came together across gender lines and said, you know, it really, the issue isn't are you male and female and which one, you know, does this or that. What if we look for opportunities to honor and serve one another? What impact might that have on our culture? And what if Christians became unified in spite of different political opinions? What if those people who think Donald Trump is the greatest thing that ever happened to America and those people who think Donald Trump is the worst thing that ever happened to America said well, who we are as believers together is more important than all of that? And guys, listen, I'm not just speaking theoretically here. That has happened in our church where people have felt ostracized from one another and there's been division come in the body of Christ because of different political views. And that absolutely, number one, it breaks my heart, but number two, it kind of makes me angry. Because who we are as a people of God is more important. I'm not telling you you can't have your political views. I'm just telling you who we are as the people of God. That should never happen to where we allow anything to cause a division and come between us. Because to add this, to, to, to go back to what he's saying, Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, Republican, Democrat, you, you, we could probably add to the list if we wanted to. Those things aren't what identifies us. What identifies us is who we are in Christ. And so I want to challenge you, if you are a follower of Jesus, that you let that be your identity, that you let that be 
what is more important than anything else and what draws you together with other believers. And I also want to say, if you're, if you're not, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe one of the reasons you're not, quite frankly, is because you see some of the division that happens. I mean, Jesus said that, that by this, all people will know that we're his disciples if we love one another. It's the unity that we have that should be an attractive uh, piece to, to drawing people toward Christ. But I want to encourage you in this. That's what, what Scripture calls us to. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you haven't joined his family by faith, then we want to encourage you to take that step as well because that is our hope. That is our, really our only hope for us to find unity and to come together is finding our identity and who we are as followers of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you today. That, that you love us the way you do. And Lord, I do pray in a time where there's so much pulling at us that more than anything, we do identify ourselves and who we are in you. And um, God, do a work in our hearts where a work needs to be done, a work that only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.